If somebody's lazy, I think a lot of it, I don't wouldn't say all of it, but you know, a good chunk of it is people are tired, depleted on the inside. So they're going in slow-mo for a reason. Because I think if a human being is healthy on the inside, they want to live life. They want to put everything into their bucket. And so the lazy, the couch potato person is actually possibly suffering from a low-grade depression or in the bottom of a biphasic response in terms of a nervous system. Is your life going off in the wrong direction? Finding it hard to get back on track? It doesn't have to be that way. Hey my friends, this is Nishant and welcome to another episode of the Nishant Gar Show. This is a podcast about helping you live a fulfilled life and my job on this show is to invite the world class experts to extract the practices, routines and habits to help you live a fulfilled and abundant life. Every Friday I share a newsletter which mentions what I'm learning new, recent podcast updates, things I'm experimenting with, books I'm reading or just anything. You can find the newsletter link at https://nishantgarg.me and i s h a n t g a r g.me and today's guest is Dr. Suzanne Lacombe. Dr. Suzanne is a closet rebel psychologist working through her fears, trying to make an imprint on the world for something she believes is extremely important. She was once very troubled. Her trauma history had caught up to her early two clinical depressions before the age 30. She turned to therapy for an answer turned out to be the wrong solution well for about 14 times until around her fourth decade on this planet she found the right kind of therapy or was it the right kind of therapist tricky question the type of therapy her therapist used was a whole paradigm shift away from the others it was a trauma based somatic model it not only made sense of her life it suddenly became clear that the mental health field was approaching anxiety and depression with outdated methods after a thousand clinical hours as a psychotherapist psychologist and responding to hundreds of questions from people in therapy and seeing needless suffering she wonders if we are going about it all wrong she believes that if we harness our energies to helping the unborn and later infant child we will have far less issues with emotional dysregulation and with that for low rates of mental illness anxiety depression and related issues of abandonment she asked if we did that could we change the trajectory of our trauma pattern as nations in this episode dr susan talks about two types of talk therapy why do we even need therapy managing emotions and dealing with trauma and its connection on the nervous system and much much more I actually recorded this episode on July 2nd of 2020. I was nervous to put it out there because my own trauma was coming on the surface. Since the recording of this episode, I have learned to manage my own emotions better. It is a journey to constantly evolve. This is my small act of courage I'm showing to put this episode out. I realize that it is not about me. Problems compound very quickly. I hope this episode will create some awareness in you and help others. If you like this episode please leave a comment and share your feedback please note that information shared by Dr Susan is for educational purposes only and is not intended in any way as a psychological treatment advice or consultation of any kind if you are struggling with mental health issues please seek the treatment of a licensed mental health professional and now without further ado please enjoy this wide ranging conversation with Dr Susan Dr Susan welcome to the show Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. 
I'm thrilled and excited to have you all the way from Canada. Yes, that's right. British Columbia, Canada. Oh, wonderful. I'm curious to ask you, how would your family describe what you do for a living? What, my family? Yes. Oh, that's... <laughs> okay, so well, that's a little toughy. Oh, that's funny. Can I just take a tangent here to answer that question? Please. Uh, do you know Carol Brunette, like the comedian? Carol no. Brunette? Okay, well, she had a show on for over a decade, I think. And there was one skit there where the guy, hit this, the son of this family, okay, his parents were coming by, his family was coming by, and he's an artist. He's a famous artist. And the family comes in, and they bring him paint by numbers. <laughs> paint by numbers. He's an artist, but they bring him paint by numbers. Okay, so I'm, I'm not making fun of my family. I love my family, but they don't, they don't really get what I, what I do is what I'm saying. <laughs> Over the years, it's helped that therapy has become more popular. You know, more people know about therapy and it's more normal and that kind of thing. But describing what I do has not always been easy. I mean, certainly the therapy part is easy, but then to describe what happens in my sessions with my clients, sort of the work that I do, that is, that, that's a harder piece. In fact, I think a lot of people don't understand therapy. They think, well, I guess some therapies are just about talking. You know, you just come in, you sit down, and you unload, and then you go back, and you come back the next week. But I don't think of therapy that way. I think of it as changing you, you know, fundamentally changing you. Because, I mean, you can talk to friends. You can talk to a trusted friend. And that's good. That's really good. But you want, you want a change on the inside, right? So that, that, I think of it that's dead. Anyway, I just remember that. It's not important that a family understands what you do, you know, that they love you, that you hang around and enjoy their company. That's the thing that counts. Coming back to therapy, I'm sure there are many kinds of therapy. What kind of therapy you provide? Okay, self-regulation therapy. It's a somatic approach. It's not to say I don't pull in other things like from internal family systems, which is about inner parts. I've been doing that maybe even before. I even heard of internal family systems, probably a lot of therapists too. And, you know, a little tiny bit of CBT, like in framing things, reframing, there's that, you know, look at it this way. But I really ground it a lot in the body, whatever we're doing, because if we don't include that body piece, it's really hard to get that a fundamental change just because you need to access deeper areas in the brain. And it, some areas cannot be accessed if, if it's strictly talk, if you're just talking. I guess there's two levels of talking too, right? There's talking, you're just unloading, talking about something in therapy to your therapist. And a, and a deeper level is talking in a way that you're feeling the emotions and then your therapist is your therapist is really getting you and feeling you at the same time. Like your therapist has got that emotional connection with you. So there's, when I say talk therapy, there's kind of two different kinds. There's the talk and there's kind of a distance between the therapist and the client in, in terms of energetic distance or emotional distance. 
and the therapist is imparting their knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. But then there's the emotionally available therapy. So I have that piece and then the somatic in there. So I do that kind of work. Why we need therapy in the first place? If as a listener to this podcast, I'm thinking why I need therapy. <laughs> yeah, just an easy little question, right? <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, why do we need therapy? Well, I think if we, we wouldn't need it so much. I think we wouldn't need it so much, actually, if we get, if the way that we, our humanity was different. If we, especially in particular, how we raise kids and stuff, not to fault parents, they're doing an enormous job. And I don't think society really values that enough. But I think we've got a long way to go to really honoring the role that they play and the importance of it. And because, like, each generation learns how sensitive we are so we're we're a lot more sophisticated and sensitive these days and i think television funny enough and movies have, has helped that and the internet and that kind of thing that so brings our awareness so we're more connecting with each other but we still we still treat babies as if they don't have a person you know like we'll be talking about the baby and the baby's listening and we're not really engaging or you know we'll pretend to engage the baby, you know, do all the funny things that we do with a baby and, but not really land to be with at the same level as the baby. See, we're not picking that up enough. That's really what, what I'm talking about is attunement, attuned care. So you really, like some mothers will know the different cries, right? Yeah. So if we got that right a little better, I think we wouldn't need therapy so much because then we'd, we'd know how to manage our emotions better, right? So you are saying that to manage our emotional well-being, to if we can't manage on our own or if we don't have a support system in our life, then we need a third party as in the form of a therapist. Right. Yes. And yeah, like if we don't have support in our lives, but it's more than that. We can, we can have support in our lives, but maybe the people around us are, their nervous system isn't healthy either. So, okay, so can I step back? Because I think Please. there's something important to say here. People think the value of therapy is about the advice giving in terms of therapists, and that's, I don't want to underestimate that. It's very important. But really, how one person, how one person changes another in fundamental ways, how psychotherapy, I believe, changes the other person, it's through the nervous system of the therapist. Let me, let me tell you one sort of bit of research that's been sort of Please. classic. Okay, so it seems that it doesn't seem to matter what type of therapy there are successes in each group. Like, if you're a really good therapist, it doesn't matter what almost, I don't know if they've repeated this kind of research in recent years, but this, they did, you know, did this for, I think, a couple decades where they were looking, they were trying to find the best ther therapy. And it seemed that the really good therapist didn't matter what the therapist, what the model was. 
it was really about and i this is what i think it, they sorry what the research would say is they'd say it's the relationship okay good the relationship with the therapist yes the client therapist alliance right but i think it goes deeper than that i think there's an emotional connection they have that so the therapist is emotionally available to the client okay so, and you feel that because if if the if the therapist is in their left brain you're not going to feel it if they're in their right brain you're going to feel it okay so if they have heart you feel it i'm sorry to interrupt you that. here when yes. you say left brain so people who may not be aware of the left right. brain concept yes. it's Less more analytical right. more analytical Correct. and right brain is more emotionally aligned brain correct yeah please go ahead yes and i saw that you had jill bolte taylor oh my god she is one of my favorites she's all over like in my program i talk about her all the time because well she's i had so much fun recording oh i her. know she's amazing isn't she okay so you have to feel your therapist and if she's she or he is in thinking mode you're not going to feel it but here's the here's the thing that i think that's where where really the true value of psychotherapy is is in the health of the nervous system of the therapist okay when two people connect their nervous systems connect when the therapist and the client connect the client learns the client's nervous system learns from the therapist's nervous system like jill would say we're all connected you know she had that experience where you know everybody was connected and she said i remember she said there were people that came into the room this is when she was in the hospital they came into the room and some people gave her energy some people took energy from her which is i mean that's huge to me because if you have someone the year around that's kind of sucking you dry i mean maybe you've been around people like that i say this to my clients and they'll say i say have you do you know of somebody where afterwards you're just exhausted yeah yeah some people exhaust you some people take your energy other people give their energy so okay, what so should we do with that if if we have friends and family who are energy sucker uh, out <laughs> yeah. of our life so should we just neglect them what can we do with that well no matter if if you get a bigger nervous system then you'll be able to contain and you'll also have better i think you have to learn boundaries as well but if you have a bigger nervous system you'll be able to contain their energy like when i was first starting in this field i i don't can't remember how many times i had it but clients when they would go into their body would go into a trauma vortex it didn't happen very often like i don't know less than 5 times i think but it did a lot of work on my part to get them back and it's because their trauma my nervous system at the time could not contain the trauma energy so when they went into their body they went into the trauma vortex so which is a place of high intense they they went to a flashback put it in layman's terms they went to a flashback i'm so, curious to ask you when you say that your patients 
they were going through some trauma. What kind of trauma those patients had, or for lack of better word, I'm thinking, what is the impact yeah. of trauma on a nervous system? Okay, have you have you ever met somebody that's really wired? Like you could barely look at their face; they're so wired, like yeah. they're so pent yeah, sometimes. up. Sometimes, yeah. Okay, okay. So that I would call that highly activated. Okay, and so in the somatic field, we use this term activation. It's a measure of your nervous system. It can be specifically measured, like with heart rate variability. That's one measure of it. And it's the health of the nervous system. So if somebody is like super tightly wound, if somebody's super tightly wound, right? Like, you know, they're buzzing, okay? That's their activation. But the activation's on a continuum. So we think of an activation on a continuum. Some people are low activation. So those are the, the Zen people. So people have high, and then there's the rest of us in the middle. So when you're, when, you're, when you're traumatized, what happens is you're going along this level, sort of a, if you could just imagine a line, and now jump up two inches. Now you're up at that level. Okay, so you could imagine a graph. You're going along, that trauma happens, and you jump. Your nervous system like gets super tight on the inside. So you're wired, so you're more sensitive to everything around you. You're on guard. You go into a trauma state. It's very predictable what happens then. Are there any practices to make our nervous system healthy and strong? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's certainly somatic work, like going grounding through your body. Like there's some meditations that do it. There's a lot of somatic techniques that teach you how to go into your body and ground. I think what, what the mindfulness field, if I could say this, what it misses, okay, like some people can't do mindfulness because they can't get under their thoughts. So somebody that's highly traumatized, that's harder for them, much harder for them to do the, a mindfulness type meditation. Rather, it, it's easier if they first go into their body clear the activation a bit, get to, base, get to baseline, and then attempt their meditation. This is so profound, and this is a great distinction that you are mentioning, the yeah. distinction between mindfulness and therapy. And if I understand correctly, you are saying that if, if somebody is going through high level of trauma, then to get to the baseline activation, once okay. we get there, then we can try mindfulness practices such as meditation or breath work. How yes. can yeah. somebody yeah. get to the baseline activation? What, what can somebody do with that? Oh, okay. Well, there's lots of somatic techniques, but the rule of thumb is to match your state to the tool you're using to get down and then to use the next for that's the next state that you arrive at, a different tool. And then when you're, then you're coming down some more. Am I explaining it right? Like you're, you're dropping. If you're highly activated, you might use a, a flight exercise or a getaway move exercise. You know, if you're angry, you might do a squeezing exercise. Then when you finish that, 
then you've landed a bit, but you're still not ready yet. You're not at baseline. You're still charged up. So you do another tool to get down. Like you use, like what Peter Levine taught us about this back and forth. I call it the R&R. Can we do the scenario? Let's say I'm your patient and I'm completely off of my activation, baseline activation, and I don't know what to do. And you are my therapist. Not, it's not for the listeners. I want to say that this is not a therapy session, just making it as a hypothetical scenario. I'm your patient and I'm completely off from my baseline activation and I do not know what to do. And you just mentioned that there are different tools to get to different levels. So how would you start? Or if you could explain in brief? Well, okay, so this is a new client. I have to establish some kind of report because I can't just start into a tool. But I will, I will get their, their agreement of some kind of goal that, we, that that person wants to achieve by the end of the session. Okay, so okay. let's say I want to say that I want to have less anxiety. I want to be stress-free. I want to okay. feel great. I want to have higher self-esteem. Okay. Many so things. when I would yes, and I would explain we can go in that direction, and I'll give you help you in this session to give you an experience of what it's like to feel more comfortable than you do now. Awesome. And I'll get that that agreement, and then I would. I teach if, and then I would get uh, their permission to teach them a tool, and and you normally everybody's in agreement with that, and because it just takes a couple minutes, and then I teach them how to ground through their body a bit, and when I do that, I'm getting a sense of who they are and how they can tolerate that because not everybody can pause that long to sense into their body. So I have to figure out if I have to be very quick with my speech, back and forth, talk very quickly, or if I can talk slower so they can stay longer in their body. And that way, their grounding is going to be faster than the other one, where I have to talk quickly because it's too intolerable. Spending just a few seconds in their body, it's too intolerable. So I have to keep going back and forth. So the grounding would be feeling something that didn't, that does feel good. And then we'd switch to something that doesn't feel good. But we use titration. I'm probably using a lot of terms maybe that need to be explained. Sorry, but. No problems. If you, if you, if you don't mind uh, explaining some of the tools, if our listeners can practice on their own, if possible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on myshrink.com, there's the grounding technique. They can go to there and get that for sure. The really important thing when you're using these tools, it's kind of hard to explain some of them in the absence of knowing where the person's at. You want to figure out what, where you're at at the time. Let's say that our listener is having high stress job and they want to feel relaxed. Some days having a stress is okay, but you know if we are living under stress every single moment, it may not be good for our nervous system. It may not be healthy for our life. Any, right. any mindfulness practice or any practice that can help us in living a lesser life. Right. Okay. So first thing is to figure out where you're at at the state. I mean, we could do it right now. I don't mind doing a session, not a session, but a grounding technique with you if you wanted, or did you want me to just We can do it, it in brief. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, so I'm game for that. Is it, do you have, you've got a microphone in, in your hand there? Yes. But would you be able to have it propped up so that you'd be hands-free? Yeah, okay. So can you tell me a little bit about how you're feeling on the chair? Like, are your feet on the floor? Yeah, yeah, yes, okay. And is, do you have a good support at your back? Yeah, okay, good. And one thing that I would say to people is I would say, you're doing this at home, get in the most comfortable place possible and grab a pillow, grab a blanket so that you can really, if you're comfortable when you do these things, then it's easier to do them. It's, it's the same rule goes for any emotional stuff that you're moving through. If you can be comfortable in your body first, then try and move through your emotions. It's easier. Easier. Okay. Good. So can you tell me, can you feel your weight on the chair? Yeah. Okay. Do you feel like you're hovering or you're on the chair or you're in the chair? I mean, you're, you're doing this live, this thing. How do you feel on the chair in this moment? I feel relaxed. Less anxious. Relaxed? Yeah. Okay. And where do you notice the relaxed feeling in your body? In my chest. Good. In your chest. Good. Good. Where else is it relaxed? Like, how do you know you're relaxed? What tells you that feeling? Anything else? If I know, tough I'm, questions. If, <laughs> yes. And if my mind isn't racing. Yes. If I'm being present. Yes. In the moment. Yeah. Then it means that I'm being present. Personally, for me, if my mind doesn't race. Yes. If my mind doesn't go all over the place, it happens sometimes. Right now, I'm feeling not very overwhelmed, so I can say that I'm yeah. not distressed and I'm just living in the present moment. Yes, good. And often the case is when you've got that busy brain happening, what's happening is mirrored in your body. There are sensations in your body that would that mirror that busy brain. And in self-regulation therapy, you work with the sensations in order to change the thoughts. So are you saying that just sitting with the sensation that we have in our body? It, it's not just that, but that's part of it, yes. And you wouldn't, like if you're overwhelmed with the sensation, like if you had a real lot of tightness in your chest, you wouldn't, you wouldn't go hang out in your chest. You'd be there long time it's very painful are there any prompts that we can do it in our home if we are not sure whether if we are stressed or anxious or depressed can we ask some questions to ourselves to take a pause in those moments oh yeah like i coined the term the 12 second chill so what you're doing just feeling into your body for 12 seconds is you're taking a pause and you're going into your body and you're providing the opportunity for your body to unwind. See, we don't have the pause moments anymore in our lives, right? We used to <laughs> have verandas out front and watch the sun go down and digest our dinner. And we just go from transition to transition. We don't have the pause moments anymore. Are you saying that counting... For well, not seconds. count. It's an estimate. Estimate. Just don't count. That's, that'll put you in left brain. You want to be in right brain mode. So any right brain activity will help to help the 
take the sort of start the nervous system unwinding. Does that make sense? It does. And I would love to ask you what practices you have in your personal life to really wind down from busy life to your right brain. It's lying on the deck. My head is in the shade. I'm lying on a couch and the sun is at my back. And I feel into my body and I track myself coming down. That's one of my favorites. Is it like a visualization? No, I'm actually doing it. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm actually doing it. Like, or if I'm just in the morning, I think of my day and I might check into my body and just get a sense of really how I'm going, how I am at that moment. Like usually in the morning, I'm relaxed. But if I've got something coming up, I'll just check and then I'll just bring myself back to baseline. But when I had Bobby, my dog, I take her out. She'd be out in the yard. I'd be watching her. I just pause into my body. You see, the thing is, what's interesting is that somatic therapists have been doing mindfulness before mindfulness became mainstream. Because when you go (laughs) into your body, you automatically become mindful. You feel yourself, you become present. And I can't tell you how many times I'll go in. It's kind of like visiting yourself. You go into your body, you have a me, visit me moment. I meant to do that today, you know, and that kind of thing will come up where, you know, I got off course in my day. So it's like these, I become more mindful of my life. I, I step back and I feel me and I feel and it just pops into my head. Can we say that mindfulness is more of secular basis and uh, somatic therapy is more clinical? Well, I'm hoping it won't. I'm hoping it won't, actually, because I've, I think these tools should be tools we should use all the time. Like it, it should, it, right now, it is in a lot in therapy, but I did myshrink.com. Because, you know, when I use a lot of humor on the site here and there and things like that, because it's, it, I wanted to, to normalize this, these, we've learned from trauma clients, we've learned from trauma therapy, what we've learned is all these things could be and could actually should be used in our lives, just everybody's like everyone, because it's, it's not just good for dealing with trauma, but it's good for emotional issues, but it's good for anyone that is in, in wants peak performance, like anyone that wants to expand be, your capacity, like the nervous system grows. It's not just that you can, you don't have anxiety. It's that you can take on more things in your life without feeling anxiety. So you feel this expansion if you're following me. Right? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And therapy is not bad. And a lot of people have this myth that if if you are having a therapist, it means you are going through some mental health issues. And I've talked to so many guests in terms of therapy, and they recommend having a therapist if you want to go to the next level, if you want to have peak performance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know. And that's that's the danger. So I don't want these techniques to be Oh, that's for if you've got trauma. You know, everybody's got trauma in their system to some degree, right? So and Yes, exactly. And some people are just not aware. If they 
feel depressed or they feel anxious. And if I talk about myself, yes. maybe uh, up until three years ago, I didn't know what does anxiety feel like. Yeah. And I'm right. sure a lot of people or maybe our listeners may not be aware if they have anxiety, or what they should do. So if we therapy is one thing that somebody can hire a therapist and work through that. So any practice, let's say for, so I would, I would like to step back and ask you that, how does anxiety feel like in our body? If, if you could explain, if it is possible for you to explain that. Well, awareness you know, is the key. You know, yeah? I, don't, I don't even like that. You know, in some ways, I, I had the same experience, Nishant. I, I had the same experience where I couldn't put words to it. I would never say um, I didn't have the tight chest in my, you know, I didn't have that feeling in my heaviness in my chest which is a kind of a classic, what they say in terms of anxiety. But like I had high activation for a very long time, so highly activated that I, was, that I would dissociate out of my body a lot. So I would have these kind of starry-eyed look to me. But because I was high-functioning, you know, I go to my doctor, I know something's wrong, and there, were, there wasn't any words to it. But I'd be sort of highly excitable, let's say. Highly, highly excited. Yes. Yes. And it does happen <laughs> with me sometimes, and I'm sure it would happen with a lot of people. You feel tired. You know that you're, exactly. asleep, you're sleepy, right. but your mind isn't at rest. You're thinking right. constantly. You, yes. It doesn't happen with me often, but whenever it happens, if I want to take 20 minutes of nap, but I can't take it. It's just my mind is racing and my mind is thinking. Yeah. So, so you do the flight exercise, Nishant. The flight exercise. What is flight when you have exercise? Racing. When, you have the, when you have racing in your head, it's like you, you want to ask your body, what does my, what did my body want to do? Well, I, I want to just get out of here and get going. Okay, so imagine that. The neat thing about the brain is that it responds to imagination in a very similar way as it does to, that's right, it doesn't matter. That's right. Well, slightly different, but I think. But when they do the brain scans, apparently, you know, they look the same when they're imagining and doing the thing at the same time or at, at a different time. The scan looks the same. So you can use imagination and get away. Like there's probably, I could explain it maybe in Please. 20 minutes. All the, no, that would take 20 in two minutes. minutes if, if you could two explain minutes? that in okay, two minutes. Okay, so you, if you feel that feeling of, I got to get going, you trust your body and you imagine. And you match the speed of the flight exercise to the feeling in the body. So, for example, if sometimes the run, you need to run faster than you physically could run. And that's okay. It's just an imagination. Like I've gone around the earth a couple times in my imagination running, right? You match the feeling in your body to the image. But you don't stay there too long. You come back to your body and you reassess. You, you want to nail it each time. And predictably, it starts going down. If you've nailed it right the first time, you might have to figure that out at the beginning. Then you, you go back and forth as you go down until you feel like you can now sit. You, you don't feel like you need to get up anywhere. You're fine. You've, you can hang out in your body longer. You've landed it's kind within of yourself. mirror and match. 
mirror and match. That is beautiful. What would you recommend to somebody to stop overthinking? Yeah. So the first thing is to become aware of the fact that your body's having a bigger influence on your thoughts than your thoughts are having on your body. Okay, that's the first rule. The pathways going up into your brain that give you that this, this overthinking is coming in part because your body is racing. Your body's racing. And it shows up as your mind is racing. You're overthinking here. You're obsessing. It's coming from your body. So the, the feelings that we have of pent-up come from the vagus nerve. And those pathways along the vagus nerve that come up and through the brainstem and up here, up to our brain, right? 80%, 80 to 85%. The pathways going down, me thinking something, like if I'm trying to say, oh, just chill already, calm down. You know, if I say this to myself, I'm not having the pathways going down are 15 to 20%. I'm not having an impact. So if you fight thoughts with thoughts, you go in circles. Instead, work with the body and get work with the sensations. So you come from high activation to baseline. You do that repeatedly. The bigger the drop, the bigger the change in the brain. It's like could patterns. You, you're you laying down new pathways. Walk us through that practice. And I understand, if I understand correctly, that mind thoughts, you know, making this alignment. If you could explain the practice, let's say if, if our listeners can, you know, understand this practice and apply to stop overthinking, what would so, it okay, look like? Okay, so stop, stop overthinking. Okay, so what you would do is, is first of all, you have to catch yourself in the act. So you're, you're, you feel like, oh, this is the third, fourth time I've thought this. I got to stop this. You re- so you catch yourself in the act that you're doing that. So immediately you go into your body. You sense what your body needs in that moment. Okay, maybe it needs a flight exercise. Maybe it needs to become aware of the comfy of the bed. You bring your body into connection, into awareness of its surroundings. That's the first thing, right? And then you dip inside your body and you work with using different tools. You come into your body and you work with the sensation and using baby steps. So you don't jump into the deep end of the pool with any sensation. You feel a little bit on the edge. <laughs> I'm curious to ask you that do you what challenges do you face when working with clients who are having anxiety problems, depression, stress, any kind of issues? Yeah, the biggest life? issue, the biggest issue, the biggest difficulty. Challenge, yeah. Yeah, okay, here it is. Here it is. Transference. This is when somebody I'm trying to get them, let's say, into their body. And they just, they want to keep talking and they keep talking. And I'm, I'm trying to pause. I'm trying to interrupt. It's okay that we take a pause here because they're ramping up. They're going straight up. Because if you, that's what happens in talk, the, the risks of talk therapy is you just keep talking 
And sometimes there's a kind of catharsis where, you know, there's a big puddle on the floor, kind of tearful things. It's good to have all that come off. That's really good. But basically you're entrenching this spike up, spike down, which is not what we want in the nervous system. We want more, if you, you want your emotions instead of these spikes, you want them more stable. You want to be able to move through your emotions, right? So if I'm with a, a client that is hard to get into the body, so what I have to do instead is to switch the topic a lot to it's something into positivity because they're going into a negative spiral. So I have to pull them out. But I risk the therapeutic align, alliance when I do that because they don't know what I'm doing. So I have to make that more, I have to explain it, which I do. Um, but do then you, they... Do you so, say positive words? or positive suggestion to them? Well, I'm pulling from their lives, the positivity in their lives that we can grab a hold of to just bring down the, bring down the activation slightly. So here's where it is. Here's where I was saying transference. So if somebody is really backed up emotionally, they, the perspective of the world changes so that they, the trauma that's in their system they experience as if it's happening outside of them instead of inside. So if then I become the bad person, what, what are you doing to me? That kind of thing. Kind yes. of a victim. So, yeah, we, guess, we become the I victim. I guess so. I, I, I guess, yeah, that's true. I, I feel like it's, it's deeper because it's not a thinking thing. It's an experiencing thing. They're experiencing me in this way as a bad, bad, you've done something to me. Like when I first started the work and I, my nervous system couldn't contain theirs. And so they're suddenly in a flashback and they're wondering what happened? Why, what did I say or do that made this happen? Well, it's happening inside of them, right? I'm trying to contain things, but I'm, I'm not able to, right? So transference is the biggest it's the biggest challenge. Yeah. It's the biggest challenge in most relationships when people, you know, if a partner starts experiencing their other partner in a way, a negative way, as if, you know, as if it's their father or as if it's their mother. And so they see any, everything in those light. It's not a thinking problem. It's they're emotionally backed up and they're experiencing the outside world from their own trauma place. Can we say that we are too much into our head rather than into our body? Oh, yeah. Yeah. See, the, see what's it? McGill Christ? If you, if you look up, he's got a great little video on the right and left brain. McGill Christ, his name, he's from the UK. And he's, he believes, as I do, the problems we've gotten ourselves into in this world is that we're too left brain focused. We need to balance our brain right and left. And that is we need what I more asked. right brain stuff. When I asked Dr. Jill Bolt Taylor that how to find that balance between left brain and right brain, uh -huh. that's the that's the you know that's the plan to find that balance. And sometimes right. when we get too much aligned onto our right brain, we become yeah. lazy. We become what? Lazy. We can become lazy. Too much in our right brain. I don't believe in lazy. Really? Who becomes lazy? I don't think so. We can become lazy. <laughs> really? I, I'm not sure I believe there's such a concept. Really? Please explain. Well, 
if somebody's lazy, I think a lot of it, I don't wouldn't say all of it, but you know, a good chunk of it is people are tired, depleted on the inside. So they're going in slow-mo for a reason. Because I think if a human being is healthy on the inside, they want to live life. They want to put everything into their bucket. And so the lazy, the couch potato person is actually possibly suffering from a low-grade depression or in the bottom of a biphasic response in terms of a nervous system. That's what I would Interesting. say. Do you ever recommend <laughs> books to your patients? Any book to read? Yeah, occasionally I do. But the problem is, is that I want people to be in... Most people have got the left brain thing down pat. You know, they're good at thinking through. They're good at um, problem solving. And I'm a, I'm a thinker myself. And, you know, like I, I love thinking. I love you know, solving things and figuring things out and, oh, I could do this and that kind of thing, right? And so I'll often go for a drive when I have to take the ferry or something. And, I'm, and I noticed for years I'd be thinking, I should be in right brain mode. I should be experiencing the ride. And truthfully, since I've been doing that, it's like I get much more balance for my brain because I'm, I'm balancing Something that I love to do, thinking with right brain experience. And, Got it. Sorry, yeah. did I answer your question? Yes, you did. I might have. Okay. Yes, you did. Would you would you please recommend any book to our listeners to get into our inner being and to find that sense of fulfillment, balance into our life, or finding any meaning or purpose, whatever you say? Well, here's the thing. Yes, when we're more, I believe that when we're more balanced in our brain, when we're experiencing more of the right brain, we feel our purpose. Because the right brain gives us our sensu sensual awareness. It gets the experience of our lives. So if we're always in left brain mode, we're not taking in our life. We're just moving through it, but we're not being in our life. We are right? doing, not just We're being. doing, but not being. Yeah, exactly. That kind of thing. So we need that balance. So a book... No, I can recommend my program. <laughs> Please. My program. Oh, okay. We well, can do that and some of the books as well for sure. Yeah, yeah. Decoding the brain. So I have it for transference, for trauma, and for anxiety. It's decoding the brain. So I teach all these uh, tools and, and things like that in, in my program. And I emphasize, I'm always emphasizing that it's not so much the reading, you know, balance the reading with the doing the doing of the exercises. But I don't have a book, sorry. But, you know, Rick Hansen, there's lots of people out there. Even watching Jill, I think, watching her TED Talk, I, watch, I think I've watched a dozen times. So is there any book or books that have inspired you in your life, if anything comes to your mind? Yes, yes. Dance of Anchor, Harriet Lerner. Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. The Neil Walsh's book, Conversations with God. That is deep. That is a deep book, Conversations <laughs> with God. Isn't that great? Did I you like it? A few few pages. I just read a few pages. Oh yeah, I couldn't I couldn't put it down. I love I love that stuff. See, this is the thing, I think that with right brain stuff, it takes you to the spiritual place. You get more connected. Don't Indeed. you feel that? Yes, yeah? it does every yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. I think so too. So uh, do you meditate in your life? 
I did for a while, but I, I do my body practice. I, I like it better, I guess. It's sort of like it's a kind of a meditation. And I just go in and hang out in my body. I could do that for a long time. It's kind of like once you do something repeatedly, like swimming, you feel like you could go swimming all day. It's like that. Since what, what we have been talking about, that going into our body, it seems to me that I may be wrong for sure. That yeah. It's kind of a mindfulness practice. It is. Much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. That's why we... That's what, when mindfulness came along, when it started coming along, we think, well, we already do that. <laughs> so in this <laughs> modern funny. world, we have mindfulness teachers, we have meditation teachers. I love mindfulness for sure. And yeah, yeah. we have high-profile therapists. And if somebody is not sure which path to go for, should I hire a therapist or should I go towards a meditation or mindfulness teacher, what should we do, Dr. Suzanne? Just based on what I was saying earlier today about the nervous system of the therapist being important, I would say go for the best nervous system. Although I, you know, I have to qualify that it's not exactly easy to find a good nervous system. Like, how do you find that? But you go for somebody who's very stable, very solid. You look into their eyes and you see the soul of that person. Okay. You feel good in their presence, okay? I think yeah, somatic therapists for sure are trained like this, you know, to notice those things. It's very subtle. The attunement is there. I like that. But even then, you would want to find somebody that I would think that has done personally, has done a lot of personal work for it doesn't matter who, that they've done a lot of personal work. Personal then, work will bring more personal experience into that session yeah, like or they're, practice. Yeah, because they, they've experienced the benefits. They're still on their path. Like you don't want someone, oh, I did my therapy years ago. I don't need it anymore or something. But, and, there's, and not to say that it's, I'm speaking strictly about psychotherapy. There's different kinds of therapy. Like my therapy is more like body talk these days, which is the, a different modality, right? And, you know, I get my nervous system help through acupuncture and things like that. But if I need to talk, feel like I'm not sorting something through, I'll go to a, a psychotherapist as well. But I choose usually somatic therapists. Do you have a therapist these days, your own therapist? I have a practitioner, health practitioner, yeah, but she's not a somatic therapist. She's a body talker. Right. Body so talker. you have a support system. Yeah, yeah. And this is, this is a common denominator that I've seen in successful therapists. They have their own therapist. They are not yeah, alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's, they, we're just too complex. You can't always figure it out. And anyway... It's better to get the benefits of somebody else's nervous system. That's what I say to my clients. The money that they pay, the most of it's coming from my nervous system, not anything I'm saying. <laughs> well, and since we are getting closer to our conversation, and before I ask you my last question, I want to ask okay. you that, do you have any favorite quote that inspires you or you live your life by the quote? Code. Hmm. 
favorite code? Well, I am. Um, I followed the idea that if I'm happy inside, if I'm then I can. That's when I'm. That's when I can give to others. I have to be happy inside. I have to be compassionate to myself. If I'm together more, then I can give to others, which is what I want. As youngsters, as these days youngsters say that if my shit is together, then <laughs> okay, then, yeah, if my shit's together, yeah, exactly, yeah. It's that's a great way of putting it that if we are happy inside of us, then if you're compassionate, loving toward ourselves, then we can give that energy and you know put kindness into the world. That's right. That's what I think. And great. It's been a great conversation. And where can our listeners find you online, Dr. Susan? MyShrink.com. MyShrink.com. How do you spell that? M Y and then shrink. S H R I N K. That is so amazing. Thank you so much, Dr. Susan. And this has been a very wonderful therapeutic conversation i'm sure our listeners will definitely learn very <laughs> calm relaxing i enjoyed so much i learned so many new things about somatic ther- therapy and so many new practices to get into my body thank you so much Good. for your time yeah oh, you're welcome thank you thank you for listening to this podcast episode today if you did enjoy this please subscribe to this podcast on apple podcast or you can visit https colon slash slash nishangarg.me n-i-s-h-a-n-t-g-a-r-g.me you can also share this episode with your loved ones to help them live a fulfilled life you are not alone in this journey we all struggle in life there is no shame in talking about it i go through my highs and lows i get depressed and these practices help me in living a resilient life you can also do this you got this don't judge yourself you are doing the best you can and thank you so much again